Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast, The Final Whistle, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get Down to Play today, the UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome to episode 24 of The Final Whistle. We're absolutely delighted because we've got a really special guest. Um, you'll have noticed for some time now we've talked about the role of women match officials and things. So we're delighted to have the first ever FIFA women's referee to referee at any Olympic Games. Um, the gold medal match final referee in women's at Sydney 2000 Olympics. And also um, the first women, a woman to referee a Brazilian Top division league game. So welcome, Sonny Denencourt. Can I just Thank say, you. has anyone got imposter syndrome here? I know, <laughs> I know. We're in the we're in the the, the presence of a, a proper great here. I, I was saying just before we came on to start recording, I'm so looking forward to what comes out of this. So so Sonia, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a, it's an honor for me to be here. I think your podcast is fantastic. So really it's an honor for me. One of the things I'm definitely going to ask you at some point is that we need to find out what those match balls are behind you. They look brilliant. <laughs> I have um, I have a huge collection. I must have like um, 125 balls. Those are like just a few <laughs> I have here in my house in Florida. The rest is in Canada and it covers the whole wall. This is this is what you should see, actually. But they all mean something. A game that I refereed or a tournament that I've organized or something special that like people sign or like, yeah, they all meant something. Oh, and have you got to go around every day and inflate them all? Did you, <laughs> did you, did you, did you pressure, pressure did check you, them to make sure they're regulation? You know, when you get up in the morning, you say, oh, this, I'm sorry, this isn't, this isn't compliant. <laughs> we, need to, we need to sort this out. I've, I've lowered my standard with that. I just pump it once. They're good quality. They keep just enough pressure to stay beautiful. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely. Really impressive. Really impressive. Growing up in growing up in Canada, Sonia, it's a lacrosse country. How did how did football and, and particularly refereeing sort of come on your radar? Yeah, well, I mean, when I first started, really did there was nothing. There was barely in a football. When I started to play, I was nine, nine year old. And um, I may see football or soccer. I hope uh, you're okay yeah. with that, but it's, it's this is Canada. Um, and then I started to play and then a little bit of mix and went up and up. And then I was 14 and then my coach said, who wants to become a referee? And I don't know why I put my hand up and took the okay. course and started to referee. And it was fun and I enjoyed it. And it went up, up and up and up and up. And But there was not much um, good level to referee. So it, took a while to you know really get started so you know now you can become a FIFA referee and then five years with like just a few games under your belt it, it took us like 10 12 15 years before just to have enough experience um and, and obviously there's no women's uh, world cup or olympic it started like after so uh, it's a young sport in a way I think that one of the things that really grabbed my attention and, and that I noticed was the fact that um, obviously 
when I was looking at sort of the things and the referees that you've worked with and things like that, they all talk so highly about the attention to detail that you you brought to them. And I, yeah. I wonder how that who put those values into you as a, as a referee. Um, I, I think I am a little bit of perfectionist um, in a way that like I like to do things um, properly. So I try to prepare for it. I try to tell the referees that, you know, this could be your last game. So make the best of it, like do hundred percent and referee that like it's, it's the end of the world. Right. And then you, you want to be happy at the end of the match, no matter what, because you never know, right. There's so many um, stuff going on in life that you never know when you're going to be sick or an accident or like somebody will decide that that's it for you. Um, so you're, you're left to the universe to decide on many of the stuff in your career. So I, I try to enjoy every minute and then be very intense in what I do. And when I don't feel I'm like hundred percent, then I, I, I step down or I find the right people to, to uh, fill the gap. One of the things I, I, I um, when I coach referees is when the women's super league was growing over here in, in, in England, a lot of the referees were sort of not really taking it serious. And it used to really, really get on my nerves because, you know, they'd be, oh, you're okay, love, you know, to women. And we, I used to find them, look, look you know, these are, these are professional footballers here. Some of these people you're dealing with at international, just treat them like a footballer. Don't treat them like a woman. Don't treat, just treat them like a footballer. And I, and I remember a guy saying to me, oh my God, I got so much stick for saying, oh, are you okay, love? And like a, a patronizing thing. Where they sort of, it took a while for people to realize, you know, the skill levels, the, the commitment levels, the, 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 everything that was involved in, in women's football, exactly the same as men's football. But it was this attitude where it, it took a sort of, artificial way to acclimatise it with it but my dealings with it because I'm, I'm in the sports business with Clover and they had women's you know football and female football teams I knew there was this undercurrent ready to explode with the right sort of support behind it off the field of play and particularly with match officials so if I'm honest I'm really delighted the way the, women, the women's game has grown in England I really am yeah. Oh my God, you, you, you nailed something very important. You know, if I was going to write a book, I'd have a whole chapter on this just because I, if I was telling you all the names I've been calling the field <laughs> over my career and then other stuff like go back to your kitchen and all the stuff that like are just not appropriate. Um, I really close my eyes and then like, you know, ignore most of the stuff because it would have been like millions of like red cards in every match so you can't sweat the small stuff you just learn to deal with this and then just put them in place when when need be but i don't know some people like feel the need that you know if they talk to you like this they feel that they're on top of you and um maybe try to influence your decision um it's a bit um outrageous and then um the men referees also get a lot of abuse like this but like i think for us it's more because if we referee men's football, then um, often they're not used to it. So they, they don't know how to react. They they may say something they regret later. They don't know the impact of it. Um, so it, it is hard. You have to be um, to have a thick skin and be solid out there. I was going to ask you there, just, uh, you know, obviously you touched on it before about the shortage of games for you. Did that mean that you were actually, a lot of your early games were men's games because of the the lack of women's games. And so you were encountering those kind of comments almost immediately from qualifying. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, you know, um, if I eliminate all the, uh, the the FIFA World Cups, like the three World Cups and the Olympics and all the qualifying around this, which was mainly women, the rest of my games at home or in North America or around the world, they were men's game. Um, to, to get to that level, you know, we had to ref semi-pro and and then get something consistent to be able to get on the women's side at the highest level. And yes, I've heard everything. I I must have been the first women referee to a lot of men players in this. Uh, one of the one of my claim to fame is Janie Frampton, who's we're lucky enough to have Janie, and I know you know Janie is our chair. And um, when when I was coming through, um, I did a line to Janie, and the referee was Wendy Toms. Oh, good. They never had the facilities there like they did. Like, like luckily enough, now the facilities are a lot more accommodating to, to to female match officials and male. And I never forget it. it was really funny. And and because they they totally t- turned the tables on me. They were yeah. doing all the patronising to me. Oh, love, are you okay? Do you want do you want us to go outside when you get changed? And all those little stereotypical things that men do. It was so funny. There's a famous uh, female comedy duo over here in the UK called French and Saunders. And it was literally like having two comedians. And when I was running, they were going, oh, nice bum. Oh. And it was so, so funny because... It, uh, to be honest, it helped me because it realised how patronising we can be without even realising how patronising it was. And of course, Wendy had a tremendous game. Janie is always a good top mass official. So that experience opened my eyes a little bit, really. Very early on, we're talking 20 years ago now, when Wendy was um then it was called the panel, which is just below uh, professional level. It was national. Yeah. And, it, and it was clear she was a top, top mass official. And it was just a shame that um, one of the conversations we have on our Facebook page was about back then, 20 odd years ago, the highest ranking match official we had was Wendy, was Wendy Toms, yeah. who was a Premier League assistant and what's known as a level two uh, panel assistant referee. Well, fast forward now, whatever that's gone on with the game, that's exactly what we've got now. We, we've got Sean, top, one of the best season referees in the world, a really good yeah. girl. And we've got Rebecca Welsh, who's who's a, a two-way referee. And that's always worried me because when you see what's happened in those 20 years, the women's game hasn't really hasn't really developed in regards to where we are with match officials. And it's, it, it frustrates me a little bit when we see Bibiana Steinhaus coming through, we see Stephanie coming through, all through the men's game. But we we had we had that 20 years ago with Wendy. And I just Glad it's changed now and everyone's seen it as a match official and, and hopefully, you know, the women's game and, and, and the whole of refereeing will benefit from those changes. Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. Well, first of all, you were well surrounded with Wendy and uh, Jennifer and those two are lovely and Wendy's such a good um, referee and I mean, so I, I love those two. I got the chance to referee also at the Olympic with Wendy and um, actually there's a funny story there because I'm a little going off a little bit now, but like a funny story at this Olympic in Sydney, um, Wendy was in a different city. She was assigned to a match and then um, um, she twisted her ankle. So the night before they flew me in to replace her. And I, I thank her for the rest of my life to give me her a game, you know, and we joked about it. It was like, she was not happy about it, but her ankle was like this. And it was like, thank you for giving me your game. I was like so delighted. <laughs> and so we've been teasing one another since then, um, but they're good people. And anyway, going back to this, it, it's true. Like um, one of your first comment, you said that it was diverted to you. Well, most of the games I ref 
I was the only woman with um, a crew of men referee, which I don't care. I don't mind for me. Like you said, it's it's all equal. Whatever I ref, men or women, whoever I'm with, doesn't matter. We always make it work. But the players, when they didn't know me, they were like going straight to the man. It's like, oh, you're the referee today. And it's like, no, I am. You know? And then, so yeah, there's the perception and the the approach is, is different. But Back in 94, I was maybe the first referee in the world. But now, like a few years later, we, we have over a thousand something women referees. So it has changed. Not as fast as we would like to, mm. but at least it's progressing. And um, I mean, I hope to believe that the work we've been doing for the last 30 years, even though it's not a fast pace progressing, it we're getting there slowly. You said 94. <laughs> there. Is that Were you the first female official to join the FIFA list? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We were only four in the world on that year. And then in 95, they opened up. I was actually an assistant referee on my first year um, on the men's list. And in 1995, at the Women's World Cup in Sweden, the second Women's World Cup, they opened up to have a, a woman FIFA referee list. So I became a referee right away. I think I'm a better referee than assistant. I would carry my whistle much better than a flag, I think. Mm -hmm. And then so we were 20 back in 1995, only female referee in the world. And then, and then boom, 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 it went up like, um, like crazy. So what is it now? About like 3,500 FIFA referees in the world. And then the women's are about a third of that. So it's, it's, We've come a long way. It's fair to say you are a pioneer for female match officials. Uh, and it's amazing to hear you talk about it uh, as if it was yesterday for you. Obviously, it was. It's, it's, it's obviously still something that you're very passionate about, which is fantastic. Um, but thinking back all those, those 25, 26 years ago, um, what, what was it like being like the, the first female? Was there any kind of opposition to you being there? Was, was everyone really welcoming? What, what was the kind of feel of, of you being a, a trailblazer at that time? Uh, I think saying that it was not easy, it's an understatement. I was extremely difficult um, and they made sure they make it made it difficult for you to progress. Uh, I was seen as an alien everywhere. as like, what? Like, what is she doing here? You know, like, so they couldn't understand and it was really hard, but I had, I have to admit that I had like a couple people on the top there, um, decision maker that believed in it. And then they say, no, she's going to go to that national championship because she's one of the best based on performance. And then like, but it was hard. Every step of the way was hard. I, I, I don't know how I survived like some, some of those, um, not the matches, because once I got my uniform on and I was on the match, I was like 100% there. And then I gained respect by the players, um, from the players. And I think most of the matches in my career, I hope so, it went like pretty well. It was like off the field battle to convince people that, no, make me run the men's fitness test. I'm going to prove myself and I should be there. It was trying to get like... Um, equality opportunities and just like forget the gender and just focus on, on, you know, any test, um, no fast tracking. I didn't want to have any fast tracking. I want to be equal to everybody, but get also get the same opportunities. So in the movie version of your life story, who plays Sonia Denencourt? <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> because it is it is a it's a movie worthy story um and i you know one day we'll end up on the silver screen i'm sure um yeah. so and the fact that you did achieve what you did in though in that kind of crucible of of that environment makes the achievements all that more impressive oh thank you thank you um yeah i think there's a lot to say and then there's a lot that people don't know um because we've been like fairly quiet. We just go out there, do the job, and then like very little talking outside. Um, people are starting to be a little bit more vocal. Um, and maybe I, now that I'm like fading away a little bit of out, out of like soccer, there you go. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I may be a little bit more outspoken. Well, listen, I think Rennie Zellweger will play you perfectly. <laughs> We could have Sonny Decor diaries. I think they'd be very, very interesting then. I think they really, really was. And I, and I think I was sitting here looking, just thinking about, you know, what how hard it must be to get that level as a human being to achieve what you've achieved. And the amount of how many people's done a gold medal Olympic football match in the world? How many? It can't, it can't be many. It can't be more than 20. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember how long football's been an Olympic sport. So that in itself is just an incredible achievement for, for a human being. Adding to the fact that challenges that people will naturally not be comfortable with a, with a woman achieving what you do, completely yeah. wrong. I just think it's a, uh, I just think it's it's a really it's a real privilege to sit here and and have you on and listen to you. I think it's brilliant. I really uh-huh. do. Well, thank you. Thank you. I have to say that, you know, back then that you were alone in the world. Thankfully, I was a phys ed, uh, physical education teacher. So I was my own trainer. I was my own psychologist. I was my own like nutritionist. And I was like, I've been vegetarian pretty much all my life, but also like believe in like balance and all this. But I was my own coach. Now you go to a FIFA tournament and we have like just as more staff as referee on board. You know, we have like 40, 50 referees and we have like 30 staff, like physio, therapists, like um, mesotherapists and, um, you know, everything you can imagine. So back then you need a lot of like discipline and strength to go over. And then if you had a bad day, you didn't know where to turn, you know, like, who am I going to talk to now? Um, so yeah, uh, I'm proud of it, you know, like, especially because it was difficult back then. And now I think it's it's much easier in a way because there's a lot more support, a lot more like online stuff, educational uh, tools that they can use or people to reach, um, a lot of mentors, a lot of programs that they can use. So it's definitely different now. And then, thank God, thank God we needed that. When you, when you, obviously you just touched on it there right at the very beginning, you know, you said obviously coming onto the list as an assistant in 94, then going to the, the, the second ever Women's World Cup in 95, and then obviously 96 was the Atlanta Olympics, and, and you getting to do the first ever women's game that, that had ever been at an Olympic Games. What were, when you think about those three years and how quickly it went, what were the, what were the yeah. feelings? A lot happened, like between 95 and 99. Well, 95, like the, the Women's World Cup in Sweden, we were um, only six women referee and the rest were male referees. Um, and I got the opening and I got like, like the place game and semifinal. I had lots of games and it was a really good tournament for me. 96 Olympic was like, oh my God, the best thing that could ever happen, right? When I got this call, I'm like, yes, first Olympic ever. And I got the opening yeah. game. Um, it was it was tough. Like Germany, Japan, it was a tough game. 
Uh, but again, then we were not quite half and half. There was a little less women than men referees. And then so some of the men referees were not only refereeing men's game at the Olympics, but also had to cover some of the women's game. And I will never forget this guy from, um, I'll say Africa, Confederation. I won't name a country in particular, but he it was assigned to a women's game. And then like, I was fourth official and he came to me crying and he's like, I have never ref a women's game in my life. And he said, what do I do? How do I talk to them? How do, you know, where do I go? Do I run the same? Do I let like as much physical contact? He didn't know what to do at all. And it was his first women's game ever at the Olympics. So that really opened my eyes of like, oh boy, you know? Uh, but this guy was so emotional. He was, he was crying at the end of the game. He's like, oh my God, that it just made his life, you know? But we had like a lot of stories like this. So 96 was a turning point. 99, um, 99 and 2003, the two World Cup were in the U.S. because um, it couldn't happen in China because of SARS at the time. Uh, but 99 was also a big turning point. There was the first time we were all women referees at the tournament. And we were only 32 to cover all the games. Yeah. So I think I had nine games in this tournament. It was just nonstop. Yeah, it doesn't happen now. You have a game and then a week to recover. Yeah. Uh, but back then, it was just one thing after the other. But that was the the, the first uh, Women's World Cup in 99 that we were all female refereeing. That's, that's unbelievable. In 1997, though, you, yeah. it was the 8th of February 1997, you had the, the opening fixture of the Paulista Championship between San Jose and, and Palmeiras. What was, what was it like when you took that call and, and to think about that fixture? Because, you know, when we think of South America here, we think about the raucous crowds and the, the unbelievable atmosphere and samba and all these amazing things. What was, yeah. what was that like from, from the call to walking out with the ball under your arm? That was absolutely insane. I, you know, back then in 97, I had my own um, business. I had a bicycle store in Montreal. And so the month of January, we were off. We were closed completely because the rest of the year were open like, you know, seven days a week. So that month I decided to drive down to Florida, which is about um, 2,500 miles, right? As soon as I got there, I got the call. Oh no, I had to drive all the way back. You know, it took me like three, four days to come back, like straight back home to catch the flight and, and, and go to Brazil. And it was in February, minus like 20 in Canada. And I got there, it was like 100 degrees. It was so hot. And I didn't speak a word of Portuguese. Um, I had learned in the plane about like 20 words that I <laughs> with the toss and then like different things like 10 yards and all that kind of stuff. But I had a translator and I had like a driver. It was really, um, really nice in that way, but they put a lot of pressure on me. I think this game alone, I probably gained about five years of experience of refereeing. Um, oh, everything wow. was different. Everything was different um, and very difficult. They really put the gun um, right on my head um, with all the, um, you know, prior to the game, every day I had something. They made me do a press conference, like another speech somewhere else, another thing. Everybody was interested and intrigued by like, who's this alien? We've never had a women referee yeah. refereeing men's first division professional in Brazil. So um, it was difficult. And it made me do like crazy stuff too that like, you know, when you look back then, they want me to have like big red lipstick and then like a little like sexy tank top and holding my whistle in a certain way. They want to sexualize really 
the job and it was like very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable for me. But there's so many stories about this. Um, and then I came back and I had like two inches of like um, clips from different papers. You yeah. know, every day there was like six, seven, eight newspaper that was like front page of like, who's this person coming to recommend game, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's funny you a lipstick. Yeah. When you when you're describing your lipstick and everything else, I, I've seen many photographs of Anthony exactly the same attire. <laughs> Anthony loves it. He, he loves getting a little slippery top out. That's not even a wind up. That is true. If you go through my Instagram, it's there. <laughs> I can see his eyes like some say, "Ooh, what's going to I was going to say, say Sonia yeah. and Ant could compare notes on what would be the right tone for his skin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, and then but the match itself it was it was um you know brazil is different like two three hours before the match the stadium is already packed and it's all men i don't think i've seen like one woman in the stadium because they were all it was so hot nobody had a shirt on so it was easy to see there was all men everywhere in the stadium and so even two hours before the game like cheerleaders and all this we had to go like under a tunnel to go to the pitch for safety reason um and then during the whole warm-up, we used to warm up on the field. The only thing I could hear is like yelling and screaming and dancing and music. And then for about like an hour. And it was like, obviously it was towards us. Um, and it was like, oh my God, that's uncomfortable. Were you, were, you, were, you with, were you with Canadian colleagues who were also females or were you with Brazilian male colleagues? No, I... They, they, it's funny, Brazil, um, they saw me at the Algarve Cup in, in Portugal. And this is when they... They approached me. They invited me. So it was not a FIFA appointment. It was a Brazilian appointment. Okay. And um, I didn't know who was getting until I got there. And then they uh, gave me two women assistant that didn't have much experience uh, at the time. So that was really tough. We didn't even have like a, an official fourth official. It was this guy not in uniform that's sitting there between the two benches trying to help. I was like, oh, my God. Okay. So <laughs> and then, yeah, it was brutal. And then they said, like, the day before when we had the pre-match meeting, they said, oh, we're going to have timeouts during the, the match. I'm like, timeouts? I was like, no, we can't do that. Anyway, I had to call FIFA. I was alone there. I was really alone. And then, like, feeling that, like, I, I had no say. And it was all in Portuguese. And they were translating, I think, part of what was being said, obviously. Yeah. So I called FIFA. I said, am I allowed to do timeouts during this match? It was televised in 100 countries. So I had to like get FIFA permission to do this. FIFA said no. I said, well, can you talk to Brazilian Federation? And then um, I think they had a big argument because Brazilian Federation, they said, well, it doesn't matter what FIFA say. We invited you and you're going to do whatever we want. I said, anyway, so we went around it. You know how it happened? Instead of an official timeout, they had a player injured for a long time. Mm. <laughs> Pretty clever. Pretty clever. Anyway, so... You was, know, that, the, was that for, like, television advertisements that they wanted to do that? Yeah, I think so. I think it was more like a, a big marketing thing behind it. And then they want to have a break, too, because it's so hot. They want to give, like, a water break to the players mm -hmm. and then give some technical tactical information to their mm -hmm. teams and all this uh but back then it was not allowed by fifa so i i could say at least i respect my fifa badge i didn't want to lose it i'd mm -hmm. never done the timeout they just did it <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's mad and all these games you've you've done 
And I'm looking at the notes that, that um, Nathan sent me about what you've achieved. And you mentioned that you listened to the podcast with Mark Clattenberg that we did. And he said he, he got tattoos for all the, the big games he did. I think you'd be covered in tattoos, wouldn't you, if you did that? <laughs> How many yeah. games, the events you've done is just unbelievable. You know, it's really funny because I don't have any tattoos, but I, for many years, I thought I should have this Olympic tattoos, but I'm like, ah, you know, it's a period of your life and that's why I've never done it. But I have other things to remind me all those games. Oh, and, and with the balls, again, going back to the balls, and it was a totally, I love it. Absolutely, I'll be honest, I've done the same and I've done a big game when I was coming through. I always... Always uh, like to have a ball, and and there's a you might not know, but there's a stereotypical thing about me. I'm from Liverpool, the city of Liverpool, and we've always had a, um, a reputation of being thieves. They, all, they always yes. say so. Like if if I had loads of balls behind there, they'd all want me to know exactly where they got them from. If I had a receipt, <laughs> what did I, just... I swear, I swear, I've never stole a ball. I've asked permission to get the ball. <laughs> I had to insist a few times, but I've never stole a ball. <laughs> With all the mementos have you got? And also, actually, before you move on, a really important question. Do you use a coloured whistle or a black whistle? Oh, oh always black. I, oh, yes! Yes! I despise people using a whistle to the colour of their shirt or their socks just for fun. Just like, it brings attention. Why? I'm a, I'm a real believer that we should be in black and black whistle. I mean, Sonia, Sonia. but... Sonia, you've got to tell Ant that directly. Anthony, Anthony, listen, I'm listening. I'm hearing these words. And again, with all the other guests that have said about these black whistles, I've respected them massively up until the point where they've said that my neon whistles are not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, when I was in charge of FIFA with, you know, all the ladies for 10 years, I... Some came with like a yellow whistle with a yellow shirt. And then like, I had to stop them. I said, you bring attention to you for nothing and there's no need for it. And so now I, I don't know. Yeah, I, but I'm, Sonia, I'm they look, they look dead funky. You know, when you can flash your whistle up to your mouth dead quick, it'll leave a little neon trail if it's a night game. I think that's you. I think that's you told, Ant. <laughs> you know, it, funny enough, we had a few incidents where like the, the referee had the yellow whistle and showing um, a card and it looked like a yellow card, but no, it was the whistle, like showing a signal. And then anyway, for, for many reasons, I'm like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I agree. Absolutely agree. And it's little tips like that. And we've come on to some tips because obviously you're a world-class referee coach is that some referees have right on cards when they do a caution, some have a book, and and you know there's different ways to skin a cat with caution and technique. But I I remember when I was coaching a, a, a referee coming through the ranks, and he every time he got his book out, the first thing you seen was red, because he yeah. kept his red card in the back of his booklet. Yeah. So if he was going to give a caution, and maybe there was a couple of players around him, he might have always been a caution. But someone would say, "Ah, you were going to read him," but they changed your mind. And it's yeah. all—it's it's never a world-changing tip. But that's my sort. I'm with you on that. You should never see a yellow or a red, apart from when you get your cards out, not with whistles or. And and I think it's a little subtle change that in your toolbox, referees. Those little subtleties just and all that extra one percent that just gets you that little bit better than someone else. That's my my take on it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. You're absolutely right. Like the job is so hard on it on its own. Just make your your life easier. You know, with having two pen, whatever works for you. But like, don't give a chance to the players to be 
um, doubting your call or, or whatever you're doing. You know, just like keep mm. it simple but efficient. Mm. Brilliant advice. I totally, totally agree with that. You're taking that in, Anthony? No. No. Listen, I've 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 spent like twenty quid on four different neon whistles: a yellow, an orange, a green, and they, it's it's a nice little fun little thing I've got going on. I can't be affording to go out and buy loads of black whistles now. I've made my investment. I'm gonna have to stick with it. <laughs> well, listen, depends. If I go around the park and ref like a fun game on a Sunday, I have no problem with that. But like, there you go. if it's if it's on TV and it's a professional game, then I would prefer much prefer a black whistle. I'm absolutely with, with you on that. When we if, were talking about mementos, yeah, go on, move on. <laughs> yeah, when we, were, when we were talking about mementos before uh, Sonia, I was just thinking about the obviously the, the, we talked about it in the in the introduction. here. at your second Olympic Games, you were you were awarded the gold medal match. So, did, did, were you feeling that you'd had a good tournament up to that point, and that that you know you, you felt that there was a possibility you could get that? And, and obviously, we talked about mementos. You must have got a a particularly strong memento from an from Olympic gold medal match. Yeah, I think those it was like good years, and then like back then they were like um, they were saying, I know I was the best referee in the world, and then like you know Mr. Bladder loved me at the time, and then like and I I don't know, and I and I do think it was more based on performance. There was um, only one guy from from FIFA running the referee department at the tournament. There was. Um, I think it was a little bit more pure uh, back then. And I do feel that it was based on performance, not that there was no other good referees out there, uh, but I think I deserved that match. And um, I, I was used to bigger crowds and, you know, dealing with all kinds of stuff in Australia, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think it was based on, I want to believe that it was based on uh, performance. Do you come 100%. away with the same gold medal that the players got for winning? Is it like the exact same kind of thing? No, it's not exactly the same, but um, it, it is a gold medal with, um, you know, the, the the Olympic and FIFA and all this. So I I was at home. I could show you because I have a whole wall with this. But I was going to say, I, when, when you're at home and everything's casual, do you ever just like pop it on and walk around oh, and be like, yeah. yeah. yeah no, I don't. I don't. I know, but I kept this as a precious uh, souvenir. But um, yeah, we do get and we it's precious for us as well because mm. it's not just working for a month. It's just like the, the four years period of you preparing for yeah. a big competition. It's also like the players, like such a reward to be appointed for a big game. Um, and then like, yeah, that's the little thing that we have um, left from that game. It's either a ball and or a medal. So yeah, it's important. Because you came full circle, didn't you? Because you'd been the fourth official in Atlanta in 1996 at the gold medal match. And then to actually be in that position, it must have been a real full circle experience for you. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, I got like pretty fortunate. I had a lot of like opening games, which, you know, for FIFA is really important because you sort of set the pace for the tournament. You're telling the players and the coach and the team and the fans that like this is how this tournament is going to be called. So you know, we've always made like a, a good importance, a good impact on like who's going to ref the first game. And um, you've all, all been there, right? The semifinals are also crucial 
Yeah. And then the final is like, it, it, it's often an easier game than the semifinal, uh, but it's the honor. And um, yeah, I think for me, I take just one game at a time and they're all precious. I, like I said earlier, I would ref like any game as it's my last game. So um, that's what I did, final or semi or opening or whatever games that it is. You, you, you're passing that's coming through now. And obviously that's back in the 90s. I, I just can just see how driven you must have been and determined. But also back then, when this is what I'm in my head. I'm just stemming in my head. How, how amazing you must have been as a matter official. Because back then, I take it we didn't have electronic buzzer flags. We didn't have headsets. And you and you got all you, you're out there on your own, really. I know you got yeah. a team of three, and I, 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 I'm just getting more and more impressed when things are coming to my head. How how you yeah. delivered those games, just as a match official, it's just must have been so difficult, and the skills just top through. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so funny because now, like, it. I mean, there's so much electronic device that you can use, but like, like you said so well, you know, we had just a regular fly that was like often breaking during the match or it was too long. The ladies were stepping on it. And then like, you know, <laughs> but we had to work really on a lot of secret signals. And um, what was difficult back then is like, often all my international matches were with people that didn't speak either French, English or, or Spanish. I was referring with Japanese people or like, you know, and then I, I'm French, obviously. So French, English, and a bit of Spanish, I could get by. But like Japanese and Chinese and then um, other languages, it was really difficult. So we we were spending like two hours to do the pregame instruction. I had like a book with different colors, with different language, and saying what I want, if it's a penalty kick, what signal I want. And then it was really hard for most of the people because it was not much training. It was mm-hmm. there was nothing universal before. I How you call it penalty kick for, from an assistant referee perspective there's 200 ways um so yeah it was difficult and then sometimes like what 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 are you trying to tell me you know like no communication device and then like and then we start to do all kind of signals but under the pressure they all forgot that right so i was like okay we'll go with the flow (laughs) it is more and more you were talking and nathan was mentioning the dates i'm thinking no there was there was there wasn't buzzer flags there wasn't head head cons there are language challenges, you know. When I first met Anthony 20 odd years ago on a tournament abroad in Holland, and, and we all got together, I took a coaching group of referees over there. And one of the things we talked about is advantage in different languages. Yeah. Because we know one of the big tools for referees is, is when you play an advantage. I know we want to know what a yellow card is, get back 10 yards, like you, you rightly said. But advantage was always those sorts of like big nuggets, golden nuggets of a good advantage yeah. come off. And it was um, it, it, it was it was interesting to see what it, and what we would do. We would tell people, we would wind them up like on youth games early on. If it was like a nondescript game, both of them are out of the tournament and they're just finishing the group. We'd tell people a different ways for, for advantage <laughs> just to get yeah. the reaction. And it was... But the learning curve was you had to say something to show what you're doing. And those those comms, those communications of of, of what you're doing and what you're not doing mm-hmm. apply to every level of football, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And the point of that was it, it, when, when you were saying that word, and I remember you wound me up on that one because you said... Um, uh, the, the word for advantage in Dutch, when, and I was refereeing a Dutch team at the time, was boliks, and it turns out that wasn't uh, advantage at all. It was That's something else. It was how something you, else. How did you fall for that? And how did you fall for that? I trusted Martin 
I've, I've never trusted him since, obviously. Um, but but I tell you what I did do. I sold that bollocks as best as I could and no one questioned it, even though I was clearly shouting a rude word in Dutch. They looked and I'm giving a big strong signal and I'm running and plays carrying on. We talked about it after the game, but during the game, I was selling that advantage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. We have to use our body language a lot, you know, and then especially, okay, you know, maybe my English was a little bit more limited also back then. So less I speak, better it was for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and if, whatever you can, whatever you say could be turned against you, right? As, as a referee. Yeah. So uh, in a general term, you have to be careful what you say and then not entertain a conversation on the pitch. But um, I was using my body language a lot and I was making myself like very clear. I was trying to be close to the play and then use other tools uh, back back to the basic basically and then uh make, make myself understood um, no, interesting it's, it's really important and on the gold medal game was that Norway against America United States yes so this might be a silly question but it's just in my head so, was there any sort of people saying oh they're Canadians and they don't like the Americans was there any of that yeah you know it the- has changed because for the longest period of time, you were not allowed to referee any international match of your own country, obviously, mm. or neighbors. Yeah. Um, and then, like, from from here, you know, here we know Canada's Canada, U.S. is U.S., but from um, Europe, it's like a little too close neighbors, right? Yeah. Um, so we tried, anyway, even in, in my beginning at that FIFA, we tried to avoid, like, to work even in the same confederation. So when we had a FIFA tournament, it is a real Sudoku puzzle to appoint some referees that is not your country, not your confederation, neutral. And then we we didn't have any trios. So it could have like been four referees from four different countries on top of that. So, you know, you could see the logistic of all this. It was difficult. And then sometime it happened. Um, so on that game, I was... Um, I was a little bit surprised in a way because they had said at the beginning of the tournament that this is what they're going to try to do. Um, And so it can't only be based on performance. However, when they made their decision, I guess they were um, confident enough that there was neutrality and it would not be an issue. And the two teams like um, embraced the situation and accepted it. It's like, yeah, we don't care. We want the best referee that you have out here. And then like, so it was accepted, no problem. And now it became a little bit more um, common that you see that, you know, mm. um, and people don't question as much. When you when you were coming towards the end of your active career, uh, you did a bit of coaching, didn't you? And that was what persuaded FIFA to to make you the head of women's refereeing overall off the back of that coaching. So you, you were at a tournament, weren't you, where you did some coaching and then that, that convinced them? Yeah, yeah. I was um, invited as a FIFA instructor um, in a future course. And um, all of a sudden I got there and they, they they said, like, pretty much you're in charge and take the lead. I'm like, okay. And that was my first one. And then I was at the end of my career, it was like 2004. And yeah. um, they, they, there was nobody in at FIFA taking care of the women's program. There was actually no women's program, zero. So um, they said, are you going to retire soon? I said, well, I'd like to have another World Cup or Olympics. But they said, you already have like three, so we're not going to give you another one. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, I'm only 40. I have like a few more years. Back then it was 45 years, um, yeah. years old age limit, right? And then so uh, anyway, they convinced me and... Um, in November, I they flew me to Switzerland. They they basically the interview was 
the funniest ever I've ever had. I met HR, I met the director of competition and then a couple of the people. And they say, um, I, it was already sold, right? They gave me a piece, um, a white piece of paper and they say, please write your job description. I'm like, oh yes. Okay, <laughs> good. Very good. So I, I wrote what I think we could do in the women's program, how we can start it and then sustainability and all this and, uh, and a plan sort of. And at the bottom, a big fat salary too, you know? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the most important part. Forget the job description. What's the number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was not going to leave everything like in North America to lay across the ocean. And no, but um, on a serious note, it was really a, um, a great opportunity, big challenge. And then I, I think, you know, the, the more or less 10 years I was at FIFA, I was able to start a program give enough like bone to it and um and then being a team around it all technical instructors and fitness instructor and all this and people that believe in the women's game as well um so i i build a team around it and um reinstate the credibility of women referees and then who's going to manage those people um so it was a bit of a cleanup to do, I have to say, and it was hard at times, and it was difficult to convince people that, like, yes, we can do this. Uh, but we had our own program, and then um, I think it was really successful. I'm proud of what we achieved in, in those 10 years, and now it developed into a lot more the last few years, so it's fantastic. It's amazing, isn't it? Because to me, it seems like your career has been shaped by decades. So 1994, you start your 10 years on the FIFA list. And then in 2005, you start your 10 years. And it's almost like you're going back to the start because you're a pioneer as a female active official. And then in the in the sort of the mid-noughties, mid-2000s, you're then starting your pioneering career as somebody who can develop female match officials at an international level and, and basically allow them or, or be the certainly be the starting point for what we see now when particularly what we saw in I think it was in France wasn't it the last uh, female women's world cup um and and all the sort of the, the females being able to use VAR and all the things that, that go along with that that was another thing that again you were a pioneer on yeah yeah I well thank you good observation it's it's yeah it's true <laughs> I, I hope I like I changed mentalities a little bit along the way. Um, I faced a lot of roadblock, you know, I had to convince people. So I spent a lot of energy and time over those years just to make them believe that, yes, there's there's a lot of like good people out there that can do the job just as good as as any men referee. And and then I um, and it was not to compare. It was just like give them an opportunity if they're good enough. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, I was one to to be really strong on them. I was there to protect them, but I was really, I think, demanding and strong because you, you can't be average at this level. You gotta be on top of your game. And then if you want a ref men's game, do the men's fitness test. There's no, um, oh, your women will give you a chance. No, there's nothing like that for me. It's like, you got you gotta prove what you can do. And then if you're good enough, great, you go to the next level and it's not for everybody. No. It is absolutely amazing attitude, and, and and that's what it should be like. Shouldn't it? We all just get the same opportunity, and you've got to pass the same tests, and you've got the same challenges, and that's all. I don't think anyone would want it any other way, and, and might be so because it's so, so, just an easy target, isn't it? To say, oh, because he's a woman, you, you know, you know, this yeah, no. you know, it's so you wouldn't want that, and I don't think anyone else would want that, and I think that's that's really important to flash up because 
is, is again look, looking at the women's game and the way it's 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 grown, particularly over here in in in, um, in England with the TV coverage and the Barclays are putting money behind it so they can develop their match officials and they're giving them all the opportunities they can. But they've got a woman's pathway just for women over here, female pathway, and they've got a, a men's pathway. And obviously, Fabiana Steinhaus and Stephanie will go through the men's game like Sean has done yeah. as an assistant referee. But for, to have someone of, of the ilk of what you achieved and in the men's game over here, we're, we're probably... We're probably at least eight years away from having for Rebecca to get to the Premier League. We're probably eight years behind, yeah. and 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 I think that, I think that's a little bit of a concern, really, considering that you know if people say it's the best competition in the world. Well, well, you know, we've proved Charles Massey is a wonderful match official. I tweeted a while back, you know, why isn't she on the men's list anyway? Why? It yeah. shouldn't be a surprise. Oh, look, a great achievement. She's just got a men's European game. Well, that should have happened when she got on the select group. In the very beginning, it's always sort of puzzled me where, you know, they sort of have a pathway for women that doesn't sort of necessarily go back into the men's game. And I'm just not sure that's positive. Just give them all a ch the same chance in the same system. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it is, um, it took took a long time, but I think now like people are getting um, a little bit more convinced that this is possible. We should have maybe, well, we like one list, international list yeah. now, like yeah. male or female, you're an assistant or a referee because it's two different jobs and you have to be specialized in your duties and that. But otherwise it's like you wear a FIFA badge. It's mm -hmm. not women referee or men referee. It's like referee. And then, and then you referee the level that you're capable of. Um, but it, you know, this didn't happen overnight and you're right. It's going to take like another 18 years to go to another step. It's a slow but sometimes this is what we need to get somebody ready for the next level mm -hmm. also it's hard to change mentality or, or have a program successful in one or two years it takes a, a longer than that just for the preparation itself so it's understandable but like you're right I wish where we are now yeah, would have happened like 10 years because ago. we had them you know Sean was there yeah. Wendy was there I just, I just feel there's a bit of a, an opportunity missed there and hopefully that they, they can all move move a lot faster so in other federations like Canada like the USA have they got a dedicated woman's pathway for match officials or is it all just one pathway um no there's they're, they're two different pathways it's starting to like be a little bit more together now um, but it's been like two different worlds for a little while, yes. Okay. But now it's starting to like the MLS, for example, they have like few more women mm. and then few that they want to put like under contract as well, like the men, not just like a, a game here and there, right? Like, so yeah, it's starting to be together a lot more. And then it's, I'm happy to see that. Yeah, same here. Absolutely. I remember in 2003, I went over to the United States. I was working there for a summer and um, all of the, the locals, uh, there's a bunch of us foreigners that went over there and um, we went to watch DC United and I assumed yeah. it would just be one game. But what they did is they had double headers in the yeah. same stadium. So DC United versus whatever team. And then immediately, almost immediately after that game had finished, it goes into either the ladies. I can't remember which was first or second, but what struck me all those years ago, almost 20 years ago now, that the women's game of soccer in the United States was way more popular, had loads more fans than the men's game did. Um, so I always was impressed with like this, this attitude. Uh, I, I don't know if it translated up in, in Canada, whether it was the same or not, but, but this progressive, like 
Um, it, it wasn't seen as a women's sport, it, 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 but it was definitely more popular the, the women's game than the men's. Um, what was it like in Canada yeah. around that time? And has it, has it also progressed at the same rate? Yeah, for, for a number of years, it was a way of like, um, it's like a concert. Let's have a pre-show to attract people to come to the stadium a little bit. So at least they're going to catch the, 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 normally the women's game was before and then the men's game. So that's them in the stadium earlier. At least they're going to see some women's football for maybe a half or like maybe the whole game. And then they'll see how great it is. And then maybe next time they're going to go to a single match women because it would be worth it to pay for that money to to go see a match or spend the time and bring the family. Um, so that was a way to, it was a brilliant way to like incite people to um, get to know the game better. Um, we did this also um, a little bit, but as you said, uh, now, especially the U.S. women's team is so successful for like mm. still now, yeah. like for so many yeah. years, they, they didn't need another game to attract people. Their stadiums are, are full. Um, um so they didn't need that, but like it was a way of like inciting, yes, to bring people in the stadium earlier and stay for the long, the whole time. I remember years ago, I think it was two, the year two, year two thousands, was I went to the USA Cup, Swans yeah. USA Cup in uh, Minneapolis, and we went over early, and there was a, a an AAG, an All American Scale competition. And I couldn't believe how popular that was. And that was far more popular than, than the men's competition. It was, it was a bit of an eye-opener, really. And I remember saying to a friend of mine, God, yeah. if, if, if the USA get old in a men's game like they do with the women's yeah. game, they're going to be whale beaters. They're absolutely going to be whale beaters. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's again, it's a, they're getting better, absolutely. You know, when Alexis Salas was involved and there was some real top-end players coming over to the UK, I just feel as if now one of the things that's happening over there I'm quite excited about what the USA can do as a, as a nation. Yeah, absolutely. The, the women's game for so many years attracted more people than the men's game. And in, in Canada, we faced a period of time also some years ago um, that the national team didn't play at home for three years, I think, because nobody was coming to the game or um, it was so difficult. So the women's game like sort of like took over and, and became like more popular uh, because they were winning. They were on the top five, top 10 in the world. And then the men's game in Canada, the men, men's national team was way, way behind. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I know Sonia that um, it was, it was John Herdman, who's a man from very, very close to where, yeah. to where I am now and, and where I've grown up. Um, he, he obviously was the women's manager of the Canadian team. And then his prom promotion, if you like, I suppose, uh, within that organization, the Canadian Football or Soccer yes. Federation, however they call it, was to was to take the men's job. So I think it shows how highly regarded that is in, in North America that you can get a get a, a, a male job off the back of, of of a women's job now. Yeah, I mean John John is amazing. I think he did such a great job in Canada with the women's yeah. team. Um, you know, for like so many years, it must have been a difficult decision for him to like you know, step out and then take the men's uh, national team. But however, it's a great challenge also. Mm -hmm. And then he has this this um, ability to bring people together. And then uh, he's going to make this team successful too. He's just a winner. This guy's a winner. He's a fighter. Um, and then we're, we're totally happy to have him. <laughs> yeah. So so just just to sort of think about your roles and the way you were working, you you've obviously gone on to be a director at CONCACAF now. And is that something, is that something where, in terms of you being on the board there, you can have a real heavy influence on, on the referees in that confederation, the female referees in that confederation, I should say. 
<clears throat> yeah, the um, I'm not involved with CONCACAF anymore. Um, okay. This was, uh, yeah, I left uh, FIFA in October, the 3rd of October, 2014, actually. It was a Friday. I flew on Saturday to Miami, and then Monday I was starting my job at uh, CONCACAF. So it was a quick turnover um, and difficult job, but it didn't last like as long as I would have liked to because um, in 2015 we had this big um football scandal where all those people were arrested and in prison and all the corruption and all this. And that really destroyed CONCACAF um, because I think it was one of the confirmation that it was really um, in bad shape in that aspect. Um, and I couldn't name you a, a ton of people, but I, it was one of the reasons that they want me to go to CONCACAF when I left FIFA to try to reestablish um, a referee program and give mm -hmm. credibility and stop that like nonsense that was going on before. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, this, this, this was a long-term project and um, it was a bit destroyed with, with all those candles because all of a sudden, like everybody was like, you know, there was no executive committee. Everybody was in prison. Everybody was arrested. And then Ponca uh, Caf had uh, been taking a, a hard um, hit on this one. So, um, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate, but it was still a good experience because yeah. CONCACAF, we had 41 countries and then I had like to manage a men and a woman program and all this, but um, yeah, it was a, it was a tough job and in a bad timing in this mm -hmm. whole uh, scenario. Yeah. So is that what, is that what then led to you sort of stepping away and setting up the, the sports consultancy firm that you, that you run now? Yeah, when I left uh, CONCACAF, it was um, I was very devastated. It was much shorter than I wanted to be there, but at the same time, I didn't want to be associated with with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have a lot of integrity, and I have a lot of like uh, pride, and uh, I, it, you know, if I'm going to work with people that like don't want to do um, at least with some integrity and some um, justice. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, and it's like um, there's a certain time that when you hit yourself against a wall, against a wall, against a wall, that you're like, okay, this is gonna, it's gonna take at least ten years, fifteen years to change some mentality. And um, I didn't know if I had the um, the time of the world to do this. You know, because it felt like it was you now people don't want to change, and it's it's totally in a bad. Um, position right now so yeah i think it was the right decision for me to um to leave and is joe guest still involved in canada um you know i i used to talk to him regularly and i haven't since last summer he he was like um towards the end a little bit he didn't know if he was going to last for the 2026 um you know canada usa yeah, mexico rock up yeah um, so I don't know, to be honest, right now, if, if he's still around. I, I do think so, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, because obviously he was a... I used to work under him uh, when I was at that level. He was Joe was our sort of god, really. And whenever Joe turns up, we all had to stand at attention. I just remember him going over there. And he sent me a, a message a few years back when he was over there. He was a, um, good, he was a very good educator, Joe. I always liked, liked that we did things, Joe. And of course, you got Howard Webb over there as well, which... We know yeah, well, almost a god over here, just a yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because Joe, when I left the CSA to go, I was in charge of refereeing at CSA and I left to go to FIFA. Um, there was about a six to eight months where there's nobody. And then Joe took that job. And then so we were in contact constantly um, back then. And then the, the World Cup that we organized in Canada, he was always like um, there to help and then to um, support us. And he, he did a great job. And yeah. and then he moved on out of refereeing to more like um, – um, assistant general secretary and then more like the management part of it um, and it's good to see It must be so so good though to see somebody who you know because obviously the MLS spans Canada and the United States you know there's clubs mm-hmm. in, in both countries and it must be so wonderful that there are that there are, you know, basically opportunities for officials from both countries. But also, you know, Howard obviously did a piece for the PGMOL um, last week or the week before we recorded this, uh, you know, for when it goes out, where he spoke at length about the diversity between, obviously, the fact that uh, there's a lot more um, black and ethnic minority uh, officials who are male, but also a lot more females. And, And I think that probably is you know testament to the diversity of the of the whole landscape that you have across Canada and, and the United States because it's such a broad and vast sort of area so I think that it's it must be so refreshing for people in North America to see somebody yeah. like Howard giving opportunities to these officials I you know I have, I've met Howard like really for the first time in 207 at the Men's World Cup in Canada and then we had such a great time and then since then he's a good friend this is the best thing that could happen in the MLS to have Howard leading the pack like 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 the way he does. Yeah. He, he's such a he's such a leader and he has like so charismatic and he knows his stuff. He's respected and you know for us we're like totally grateful that he's here and he took the job. But I, I understand. I lived in three different countries: Switzerland for ten years, and then USA for like some years, and then Canada. And then every time it's a bit of a cultural shock. Uh, with, with like everything that you mentioned, you know, the diversity, yeah. the, the, the mentality. I think there are great differences, uh, Sonia, between Rotherham and New York City. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, Slightly. definitely, definitely. Well, take Miami. Miami is 60%, 66% Hispanic. So if you don't speak like, uh, Spanish in, in the Miami area, you're you're a little bit lost almost. Wow. Well, listen, we've been on over an hour hour. Yeah. Very jealous that you're over there in Florida at the moment. And it's a, that's been absolutely spellbound and listen to such a trailblazer in our game. And it's, it's been an honor and a privilege. And, you know, it's, um, if there's anything that you want us to, to tweet out for you or help in any way with our social media platforms. And then please just let us know and we'll, um, we'll see if we can share the, share the love of what you've achieved. It's, it's been amazing. So over to you. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I really appreciate. Well, you know what I do now? I'm like, I, I'm semi-retired. So I, I just do contract here and there that like um, are really at heart for me. And I'm, I'm battling a lot. Um, I, you know, I'm guest, be, guest speaker, ambassador, motivator. I, I do different activities with different organizations, but it's all about like promoting uh, refereeing. Um, I still do a little bit of technical stuff, like instructing, assessing and, and stuff in football, but like more like... Um, Women in sport, equity, equality, equality, and then um, um, working with with company like Ref Life, um, uh, Fair Advantage in Canada, Sport Aid, and then all those companies that like um, uh, promote um, the, the, the health in sport, you know, and and respect of the athlete. Um, 
and cut the violence, cut the discrimination, cut the uh, um, the bribery and, and the abuse that athletes get too. Um, and then more and more we involve referees in that, you know, because now it's like, how do we protect the athletes from the bad people out there? Well, we also have the same scenario in refereeing, as, as you know, it's, and then we're trying to protect the referees because we need them. We don't have enough in the world to cover like most of the grassroots games. Um, so we need to um, to support them and then have like good mentorship program and that kind of stuff. So this is more what I what I do now um, in terms of uh, uh, my small investment in the game. Just before we go out, I must say to the listeners that we've got here, by the way, and then the viewers, if you have any time or you want to get any more, really visit Ref Live because Sonia has written some wonderful, wonderful blogs with great insight and the, and the benefit of her experience is there for everybody to see and write and, uh, on the Ref Live website. So, so make sure you really do check that out because Sonia's written some wonderful pieces on there. So there we go. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening and to our special guest. Sonia, I could listen to you for literally hours. We're going to have to get you back on for another episode, I reckon. But for now, merci beaucoup. Merci. Thank you. It was great. Great, great, great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Keep it simple, get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.